when we can put the gates back in the proper place. The first seven chapters tell the story of the rebuilding of those walls of Jerusalem. Teach us how to restore our defenses, how to rebuild the walls and the gates in our lives. To close the gaps where the enemy's been getting uh, in, sneaking in. See, the enemy only needs just a little crack. It's kind of like an old rat, an old mouse. They just need a little bitty crack and then get in. Cockroaches, they're the same way, aren't they? They don't need a big wide open door, just a little bitty crack. And man, they get in and they multiply. Cockroaches are the most... Do you realize that cockroach is the only insect, the only animal that can survive an atomic bomb drop? That's true. You drop an atomic bomb somewhere and the cockroaches will survive. Well, that makes sense. They're set on fire by hell itself. It has to be. Cockroaches are nasty, aren't they? But they sure remind us of us when we're sinning and the light of God shines up. We go hide just like they do. We scatter like cockroaches when God's light is shown out there. That's why we don't want to read the Word of God, by the way, is because it's going to expose us for who we are. Ah, ooh, stop it, preacher. Stop it. Sorry, I can't stop. I've got to keep going. We're running out of time, folks. All you got to do is open your eyes and realize how much time we're running out of time. If you're so blind that you can't see it, Lord, have mercy on you. You think Donald Trump's going to be the answer? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Or Barack Obama. Whoever you want to put up, they're not the answer. The only answer is Jesus Christ. He's it. You've got to have a relationship with him. Politics is a nasty business, isn't it? If you ever want your life exposed, run for public office. <laughs> You'll find out stuff you didn't know you did, but it sounds good. It sounds like you had a great time. So then chapter 8 begins, and we, have, look at, we look at the need for change in our life, continued change in our life, renewing our minds, re-instruction to correct the wrong thinking. Zig Ziglar used to say, most of us just need a checkup from the neck up. That's, that's true. Because what goes on between your ears is what guides you most time in your day. And if you're getting the Word of God every morning, boom, first thing you're doing is getting the Word of God in your life, guess what? Your mind's going to work right. Your heart's going to work right. You're going to work right. But it's when you don't get that first shot of the Word of God in the morning, when you try to do it on your own strength, is when you run into trouble. And then we're in chapter uh, 9, into chapter 9 and 10, talks about commitment and commitment to the and that's one of the toughest words today is commitment if you were to ask Bryant of the, all the players that you coach in football the ones that survive and the ones that do well are those who have commitment they're committed to it I hear Coach Trimble say all the time that is, is that you, you buy into the system so in other words you come in and you learn the system and you buy into it and you quit doing what you want to do and you start doing what the coaches teach you to do. And lo and behold if it doesn't work. Isn't it amazing? It's like when your mom and dad, they're dumber than a brick till you're about 25. And then all of a sudden they get a little bit of knowledge. I never will forget my oldest son. I heard him say, "Dad, you were right." Now he's never said that but one time. But man, it resonated with me. I held on to that. I still hang on to it. We were standing in the living room at our house when that happened. I was going, Lord, have my, I could probably tell you the time it happened. Because <laughs> it's so profound. I was so excited when he finally admitted that I was right. 
Only on one thing, not on everything, just one thing. That's all. And that's okay, I'll take one. I'll take one. But isn't it funny, when they become parents themselves, in fact, I remember Jeff saying one time, he said, Dad, I started saying stuff to Kelsey, and I thought, man, that sounded like my dad. <laughs> said, scary, isn't it, son? Scary. But commitment. Look at verse 38. It starts in the end of 38, and it goes into chapter 10. But look at verse 38, chapter 9. In view of all this, in other words, their confessions, their praising of God. Remember, that's what, that's what uh, nine, the other part of 9 was. It says, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. There's a list of signers who were signing a commitment that they were going to do this, what they said they were going to do, they were going to do it. And they're willing to put their name on a piece of on the dotted line on that piece of paper. A new covenant, a new agreement. Israel was making it fell into four groups. Look, it said first Nehemiah himself. The governor signs it. And then there's a company with him of priests whose names are given. So the next group is the Levites. They serve in the temple. They sign the agreement. Then there's a group of leaders, the rulers or nobles of the land. They sign it. And then finally, in verses 28 and 29, we have the last group. The rest of the people, uh, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand all these uh, now join their brothers of the nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of the God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. Now, that, that's an interesting combination of Lord and Lord. Is one of yours all caps? And then the other one is capital L-O-R-D, lowercase? Remember what Mark Barrier taught us, what I've taught you also, since I learned it from him? All caps Lord is referring to Yahweh, the Father. Capital L, lowercase O-R-D, is representing Christ in the Old Testament. You need to learn that. And as you're reading through and you see, the, see where that's used, and here it's used both together. The decrees of the Lord, our Lord. So the common people is that fourth group of people who were willing to sign the commitment. And they were going to be called the company of the committed. Now, I want you to think a minute about the work that you do and the place that you work. If I were to give you a, a moment, could you list for me three people that you believe are totally committed to the job that they're hired to do at the company where you work? Raise your hand if you could do that. Could you write, write down three real quick? Why is it that we can, we can come up with three real quick? Because we see them. You see them doing what they, what they were hired to do. Now, let's flip, the, let's flip the coin, and let's list three who absolutely are the laziest people you've ever met in your life and could care less if they get anything. Oh, I see hands going up quickly. All right. You see, because those are easy to identify as well, aren't they? So if God were to come here today and he was, he were to take this seat where I am, Jesus was to look out at you and say, okay, let me see the hands of the committed that are committed to me. Would every one of you shoot your hand up? Well, I hope so. You see, now that, oh, yeah, he's, starting to, he's starting to meddle now, isn't he? He's gone from preaching to meddling. Good. I'm going to stir your heart a little bit. You need to be pricked in the heart a little bit because we're sitting in a time when this is the greatest opportunity for evangelism for, for we've ever had. We've got two cases in the, in, the, in the legal system 
where Christians' rights of, of being a Christian, their faith has been said, doesn't matter. One is an older lady who owns a floral shop in California, and she's, she's being sued by a, a gay couple because she wouldn't do their flowers for their wedding because it violated her religious belief. They sued her. They won. She's going to lose everything. Everything. But she said, I don't care if I lose everything. I'll never deny who Jesus is. Young couple up the coast, west coast. Why, why is it always on the west coast? Up the west coast, you got a young couple. They were bakers. They owned a bakery shop. These folks traded in there all the time, wanted to get married, asked them to do the wedding cake. They refused because of their religious beliefs. They were sued. They lost. Homosexual company, a couple won. It was delayed. They had their time in court, and the judge ruled in favor of the homosexual couple. So that young couple has lost literally everything. The husband said, doesn't matter, because we're not going to compromise on our, on our faith in Almighty God. So, if you're a Christian today, in 2017, in the United States of America, your faith as a Christian is under fire. So you might tell people from now on, I'm a Muslim. If you tell them you're a Muslim, you'll get anything you want. But if you tell them you're a Christian, now how many of you believed in your lifetime you'd see this? I didn't. I didn't. But here it is. And why should we be surprised? What did Jesus say? If you're going to follow me, guess what? You're going to face persecution. So sign up, baby, because here we go. Guess what? If you, if you really are committed to me, we're going to get you killed on the, on the, in, in action. Come on, man, let's sign up. Because that's really the essence of it is. I'm going to serve God even if I lose my own life. I mean, who was perfect in the world? Have, have we had, how many have we had perfect in the world? And what did we do with him? <laughs> well, if they killed the perfect one, I guess you and I are going to be okay then, right? Abraham Lincoln in 1862, at the height of the Civil War, said to his cabinet, When the rebel army was at Frederick, I determined as soon as it should be driven out of Maryland to issue a proclamation of emancipation such as I thought most likely to be useful. I said nothing to anyone, but I made the promise to myself and to my, and to my maker. And the rebel army is now driven out, and I am going to fulfill that promise. You see, that was the background of the Emancipation Proclamation that freed slaves for the first time in our country. Wow. Can you imagine the courage it took? But did you hear what Abraham Lincoln said? He said, I've, I've thought within myself and I've talked to my maker. You see, when you make a decision, if you don't make a decision with Christ involved in the decision, guess what? You're going to have a rough time. You're going to have a rough go of it. And so for the remainder of the chapter, beginning at verse 30, there are specific commitments that these people made. There are six of them. First, they committed themselves to avoid the unequal yoking in marriage. Second, they promised to observe anew the seventh day, the Sabbath, and the seventh year, the sabbatical year. 
Third, they promised to provide money, grain, and animals for the offerings of the, of the temple. Fourth, they promised to bring the first fruits of their crops, their herds, their flocks, their firstborn sons to God. Fifth, they promised to pay 10% the tithe from all their income, their crops, and wealth to the temple. Sixth, they promised to attend faithfully the house of God. Now let's break those down a little bit deeper. Number one, their promise was to avoid the unequal yoking together. Look at verse 30 of chapter 10. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take their daughters for our sons. That's really important. It's really important. Because they were living, the Jews, the Israeli people, the Israelites were living among a people that were savage. They were dirty, nasty, ugly people. Kind of like Tulsa. Sherry Blair and I went to the camp dinner, fundraising dinner the other night. And we Further down into downtown Tulsa, I drove. She said, well, this is kind of a seedy place down in here, isn't it? I thought, that's kind of nice. But it, it got a little, it, it even got more fun the closer to the venue where we got to. You know, it's an area of Tulsa where they're trying to convert it and turn it around. It, it is kind of run down and all that type of thing. But these people, I mean, they, they worship sex organs. Their immorality had spread diseases among the people. They killed their children by throwing them alive into the furnaces to, to uh, appease the god Molech. To protect the Israelites from these types of practices, God had told them to not intermarry with these people. But they didn't listen. Huh. When you were growing up, didn't your mom and dad say, don't hang around these certain, certain types of kids? Didn't you tell your kids that? Why would you tell them that? It's because you know what the outcome is but because of those kind of kids. Don't hang around them. I've told you this before, but it's, it's so true. My mother said, she, she, when, whenever I talked to her about my love life, which wasn't very often, she would say, oh, is she around her? I said, Mom, she's not fat. She had to sit... You know, it's kind of like the Jed Clampett moment. One of these days I'm going to have a long talk with that boy. Well, I got one of those Jed Clampett moments where she sat down and explained to me what a rounder was. In other words, she gets around. That was a great lesson to learn. But see, these people are intermarried. And by intermarrying, they were bringing the ungodliness that those people lived and practiced into the house of God. You got sin in your camp? Clean it up! How many times in the Old Testament did sin arise in the, in the uh, camp of the Lord only to have calamity come until that was cleaned up? You got, you got uncleanness in your house? Clean it up! You got ungodliness in your house? Clean it up! You got ungodliness in your life? Clean it up! I've told you that we'll be doing something to this church when I see during the service people walking up to that cross and getting on their knees and praying out to God. I know we'll be doing something then. But you know, we're, we're, that, we're that kind that sings that song, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Boy, and we mean it too. We cross our arms and we sing it. He's supposed to sing, I shall not be. But we usually sing it, I shall not be. I shall not be moved. And we don't, even, we don't open our mouths. I mean, this world's not my home. You pass on through. <laughs> Don't intermarry. Solomon's a great example. Solomon, to keep peace with the, those, war, those nations around him, 
He would marry the daughters of those kings around him because he knew the kings wouldn't invade Israel if their daughters were in the palace. But when they brought the ungodly daughters into the palace, guess what else they brought? Their ungodliness. Don't get it dirty. Keep it clean. So, this was a very wise pledge to make. What's the application for us? Well, in 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 16 Paul said it this way. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Now, there's no guarantee that you, if you marry a Christian person, boy or girl, that you're going to have this happy marriage that's just full of joy all of the rest of your life. It's just not, that's just not true. But it's more likely to happen if your values and principles and practices in the Word of God are the same. Are the same. Because happiness depends on circumstances. Joy depends on a relationship I have with God. I can be joyful in the midst of unhappiness. Can't we? Can I get an amen? You bet. Second thing the Israelites promised was to observe the seventh day and the seventh year. Look at verse 31 when, uh, in Nehemiah 10. When the neighboring peoples began to uh, bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or, any, or on any holy day. Every seventh year we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. Wouldn't it be great if we could rest- restore that sabbatical year thing? So every year all of your debts are just forgiven. Amen? God, well, that'd be awesome. Can we institute that again? In the year of Jubilee, and that every 50 years, everything was, everything was reverted back. Everything. So if you, if you sold a piece of land, you got it back. No, I don't know how that worked. But can you imagine that they would cancel all debts in that seventh year? So if you could hold out for seven years, you get all your debts Wiped away. The Sabbath and the seventh year. These are both pictures of rest. Rest. What God is teaching us is that we have to, in the midst of our activity, we've got to find rest. He alone worked six days and rested on the seventh. God, the creator of it all, rested on the seventh day. Talking to Dave a week or so ago, he said, man, the 61-year-old guy is getting weary. I said, why is that? He said, man, I'm, I've been seven straight days working. That's not right. That's not right in any book, anywhere. I don't care if you're ten years old. You shouldn't have to work seven straight days in a row. God didn't. These greedy business people need to back up here. God didn't even work seven straight days. It's all about that almighty dollar, isn't it? It's all about that almighty dollar. But we can't close. Oh, no, 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 we can't close. Oh, no, 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 no. We need to have Tony come and share his testimony, don't we, Jeff? Hebrews 4.10. Here's the application for you and me. He that enters into rest has ceased from his own work, even as God did from his. So when you learn how to take a break, you're going to be doing the things that God wanted to do, and God does do, and God did do. He set the pace for us. Work like a banshee for six days and then knock it off. Sit back and relax. Of course, on that seventh day for them, they went to church, right? Yeah. In the New Testament, we come to celebrate the Lord, the risen Lord. Amen. 
That's why we come. Come sing songs and, and praise the Lord. And, and, we, and, and I'm so proud of most of you because you're, you're older in age. And so a lot of these songs that we do, what Jeff does, it leads for us. You know, they're, they're, you just go, I don't even get that. But I'm so glad that you listen. I'm so glad that you, you stay here and you tune into it. And if you can see the words up there, sometimes the words will really get to you, even though you, you don't really know the song. The stuff that Bryant plays, man, that's good stuff. That's great stuff. You know, these are some these are some tremendous artists that he brings in and exposing is exposing us to, because it's it's a it's the type of Christian music most of us don't listen to. Who was who was that this morning? Was that Kurt Franklin? Was any of those Franklin? Fred Hammond. Oh, yeah, there you go. Named after the Hammond organ. No, I don't know that. But Fred Hammond, you got, uh, boy, there's just so many. PB and CC Winans. In fact, CC Winans took a break, and she's on the comeback. She's on the comeback, and now she's coming back in the music she's singing now. Oh my God! Shut your, shut you down right now. Anyway, I digress. We got to work, and then we got to take a break. In uh, Leviticus 25, this was all established in, in the 25th chapter of Leviticus. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live there in uh, therein safely, in safety. Excuse me. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't plant and harvest our crops? I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. And while you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. You see, that's the key. Is God will, when you honor, honor God and you do the things God has you to do, then guess what? He's going to bless you beyond your ability to receive it sometimes. But if you hoard it, oh, and then you wonder why God didn't bless him. Hudson Taylor young missionary to China. He approached the native population, began to preach and teach. He learned great lessons about God's ability to supply. And eventually he came up with what has become a perpetual slogan in the China Inland Missionary, now called the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. And here's, here's, the, here's the slogan. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Oh, there it is. There it is. And I love the fact that our church has operated that way in the years. That we, we don't take out, we don't, we don't do debt. We don't do debt. If we need something, we're going to raise the money and buy it. But we're not going to do debt. When we bought that 25-passenger people mover, I'll never forget that. It was $33,000. I just looked at the leadership and I thought, I got to be positive here. I'm the pastor, right? Okay. Oh yeah, God. You know, God's going to bless. God's going to bless. And then I go in my office and I close the door and I say, God, you got to bless. You got to bless. I said, I know you own the cattle on a thousand hills. We just need half a cow. Come on, God. Some of my feeble prayers. And lo and behold, within a month we had thirty-three thousand dollars. Wow. Ten thousand of it came from somebody outside the church. Wow. Huh. God knows. So never forget that phrase. God's work done in God's way 
will never lack God's supply. Third thing is that they committed to is that they undertook, uh, they were to provide the money, the grain, and the animals for the sacrificial offerings. Look at verses 32. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, new moon festivals and appointed feasts, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our Lord at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord, our God, as it is written in the law. So what they were recognizing is the need for offerings and sacrifices that they would be brought on a regular basis. Bloodshed means death and that it has occurred. God is teaching His people that their problem with sin within, within themselves was as, uh, of such a serious nature that it couldn't be resolved by just instructing the mind. Only death can cure that sin. Only death. Thus, we had a sacrificial lamb climb on the cross and die for us. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1, We are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Bringing of the tithe to the church is important. Now in the New Testament, that shifts somewhat. Because the way it's presented in the New Testament in Corinthians is, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And so you bring everything, and you bring a portion of everything that you have. And that's what these people were making a commitment to. Even our, even our livestock, even our time, our talent, and our treasures, we're going to commit it to, to God, and we're going to give 10% of it every time. See, they were actually giving 10% of three different areas, so that was 30%. 30% of all they had was being given to the church and to the Lord. Wow. Wow. We've got trouble with people going to 10% today. Oh, my gosh. I just don't I can't. I, I, I hear them say all the time, I just can't tithe. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Start at 1%. Remember, some years ago, I passed out a chart to you that showed you 1%, 2%, up to 10%, up to 20%, what, what it looked like. If you made this much, here's how much you would give. We need to become entry-level givers at 10%, but we need to move to the extravagant giver who gives far beyond their abilities and their, and their means and just gives out of cheerfulness. God doesn't want your money per se. He wants your heart giving in the right way of the money that you give. And the time that you give. And you don't give it begrudgingly. Wow, well, I've got to go up to the church house, fold bulletins. Well, I've got to go up to the church house and get communion ready. Well, I've got to go to the church house and clean the toilet. Well, yeah, if you come with that spirit, boy, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, Geneva's already gone, so I can talk about this now. She used to come and clean the stoves back there, the ovens. And they need it again. And she, I said, Geneva, they're self-cleaning. Ah, they don't do right. So she gets up there and she would put this easy off in there and do it, and gripe and moan every step of the way. Man, who gets that stuff? And I said, God loves the cheerful giver. Give it all you've got. Shut up! I don't want to talk. During the Christmas season, after she had passed, we 
her son donated a lot of her stuff here for us to use during our Christmas giveaway. And uh, Misty found her um, her Bible study notebook, her uh, her prayer notebook. I said, oh, "I got to have that," so I got it. It's in my office. One day I was just thumbing through it. I said, oh, "I just want to see what she." It's just really interesting because looking in that book is going to give you a depth into their life that you won't see otherwise. So I was going through, and it's funny because the one page I landed on, it said, I was mad at God today. And Harold told me that I couldn't be that way. (laughs) I made her prayer journal, praise God. But, you know, there was times when she would serve and she would gripe and she'd moan and she'd groan and See, if, if your heart's not tuned in to serving cheerfully, don't serve. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. But if you can come with a smile on your face, hallelujah, come on. Come on. And when you learn to give that way, time, talent, and treasure, I can't, I can't tell you the blessings that will come. Fourth thing they committed to, they promised that they would bring the first fruits of their crops, the herds and the flocks, and even their sons to God. Wow. I'm going to commit my children to you. Look at verse 35, chapter 10, Nehemiah. As it also is written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests of the first uh, of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all of our trees, and of our new wine and oil. In other words, they were going to bring the very best. They were going to bring the very best. Do we? Do you and I bring the very best that we have to present to the Lord? Or do we just come because, well, we've got to come. It's church. we got to go, baby. Here we go. See, we have, we have our Bible study time at 9.30 every Sunday morning. Half of this group comes to that. Well, not, a little less than half, actually. That's sad. Well, I just can't get up on Sunday morning. You get up every day and get to work by 8 o'clock or earlier than that. Don't tell me you can't make it. Because if it's a priority in your life, guess what? You'll get there. Those of you that like to fish, you usually go fishing early in the morning. Amen? Last time some guys from church took me fishing was the last time they took me fishing. Because <laughs> I don't know how to fish. And it was obvious. They said, we'll be about to get you at 5 o'clock, preacher. 5 o'clock? What are we going? I said, the sun ain't even up. How can a fish see just swimming? He said, you know? That's crazy. We get, in, we get in the lake. They're fishing. 10 o'clock rolls around. We're done. Done! We just got here. That's what you do. But I guarantee you, if you want to go fishing, you get up at 5 o'clock and go fishing. If you're, going to, if you're a hunter, I've never hunted before, but if you're a hunter... I guarantee you, you get up early and go, right? Amen? Yeah, you get up early and go. Nobody has to call you and remind you. I always get that. Well, boy, I miss you at this meeting at church. Oh, no, man, I signed up. You need to call me and remind me next time. Why? You don't love the Lord enough to get your carcass out of bed and get there? You don't, you don't care enough to want to come and be involved in Every time The men's dinner, this happens all the time. Well, you should have called and reminded me about that men's dinner. Why am I going to call you and remind you that I'm going to feed you a steak? Can't you figure it out? Man, the women would be here if we said, Women, come and eat steak. They're here. Poor men. Nobody reminded me. Somebody got to call me and remind me. 
Church is at 10.30 on Sunday morning. Get up and go! Get up and go. What are you missing on TV at 10.30 on Sunday morning? Face the nation? <laughs> Exodus 13. The Lord brings you into the land of Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised an oath to you and to your forefathers. And, and you are to give over to the Lord the first offering of every uh, of every womb, all the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come when your sons ask you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of the, my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with His mighty hand. That's why you do it. That's why you sacrifice. Is because He sacrificed for you. I'll wait. I'll still wait. Should have resounded in here without me having to beg it out of you. 1 Corinthians 6 says, You are not your own. You are bought with a price. If you truly believed that, you would be different. If you truly believed it, you'd be different. See, God owns you. He owns you because of what He did at Calvary. And yet, He owns you from a standpoint of love, doesn't He? He doesn't lord it over you and He doesn't make you do He doesn't whip you into submission. He allows you to make your choices still. And when you spit in His face, He still loves you. And when you slap Him upside the head, He still loves you. And when you shove Him down and push Him out of the way, He gets up and waits for you to come back. Is that the Lord you know? Is that the Jesus you have in your life? Fifth thing, tithes and a tenth of, of their wealth. Nehemiah 10.37 And we'll bring a, tenth, a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is, a, is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of, of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of, of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storerooms where the articles for uh, the sanctuary are kept and where the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers stay. We've, we provide so many ways for you to give. You can do it with a credit card if you want to, debit card. You can do it online. You can do it with a check. You can do it with cash. We've got envelopes in the back. What we can't do is make you do it. Some denominations do that. They send you out reminder letters that you've missed. I've thought about that. Wouldn't that be fun? Hey, hey, you made a commitment. Hey. I remember when we went up to North Tulsa some years ago and, and uh, one of the black churches there and had a, had a shared service together. The way they took up the offering is the women stand in the front with white gloves on and hold the plate. And everybody gets up out of the pew and walks forward and puts their offering in and goes back and sits down. Well, that puts you on the spot, doesn't it? I saw one guy walk by and he just nodded at them and kept going. <laughs> at least he acknowledged they were there. Amen. <laughs> Well, there's nothing. I, I can't. I can't impress upon you enough what God can do 
if you'll just test him. Look, Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes in the storehouse and prove me in this, says the Lord, if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to you such as you'll not be able to contain. If you are a tither, you understand exactly what I'm saying. And again, it may not be that you, have, that you can do a full 10% of your income. That's okay. Start somewhere. Do something. Don't do, in, don't do nothing. Do something. I'll guarantee you, if you buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks, or you eat lunch at McDonald's, that's no cheap deal anymore. You see what I'm saying? So you can find a way to carve out a few bucks for the Lord. Do it. Do it. Do it. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, According as God has prospered you, give out of an attitude of gratitude for the blessings that He's poured out in your life. God has ordained this as the way by which ministry and spiritual guidance of the church should be supported. And you guys do a great job. This is a great church. You do fabulous you're, you're great givers. More could give. Some don't give anything. Some could give. When you go down the list of all of our folks in the church here, 80% or more are involved in some type of measurable service to the church. That's awesome. That's hallelujah awesome stuff. But we've got to also turn loose of the money that's in our back pocket. God needs it. Well, not really. He doesn't. But we need to give it. And if you learn to do it, oh man, I can't describe for you what it's going to be like. Then the final promise, number six, they were, they were going to be faithful to attend the worship service in the temple. Look at verse 39. We will not neglect the house of our God. And why is that important? Because of what Ephesians 3 teaches us, Paul teaches us by way of application for us. With all saints, what is the height and depth and length and breadth and, and to know the love of Christ which passes understanding. Hebrews 10.25 Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. And what day is that? It's the coming of the Lord. That's the return of the Lord. We've got to encourage each other. Stir them up, it says. Stimulate them. Stir them up. Those six things are goals for successful living. Marry in faith. Don't choose a mate who doesn't know the Lord. Learn to work and to live out of rest. Learn that God will pick up what you do and use it far greater than you are able to do. Expect Him to do so and rest on that. Don't strain or worry and feel it all depends on you to produce success in ministry. Remind yourself of the cost of redemption frequently. Don't forget the precious blood of Jesus. Somebody came in this week and told me that we need to change our sign out front. Said we're not we not are sinners, we were sinners. Preacher, I wish you'd catch up. Bless his heart. Bless his little heart. I just want everybody to understand that we're all in the same boat. Amen. We're all in the same boat. All of us are sinners saved by the grace of God. Daily remember that you are not your own and don't neglect meeting with others for mutual support, worship, and prayer. That's kind of a a quick review of those six things. But there's one other very important point I want to make, and it's in verse 29. 
All these now join their brothers and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses. They were depending on their own efforts to obey. They bound themselves with a curse and an oath. They were relying on their own self-determination, their own willpower. How's that been working for you? January 1, thousands of people make resolutions. By January 2, they've already broke them. Because you see, we tend to make resolutions and resolves by running on our own strength. You'll never get it done without the strength of God living in you and through you. It's the only way it will happen. There is no expression of any need of help from God or any provision for failure in return. Our, our verse, how do I know that, that we can do this? Because our memory verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Job 5 says, Blessed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Oh, boy. Though I get knocked down, I don't stay down. Though I sin, I don't stay a sinner. Who's going to teach this generation how to live if we don't do it? That's why God calls His people to be obedient to the things that He teaches. And when we do health, begins to spread over the land, all around us, in the communities where we live, in the families we serve, in the homes that we're building, and as once again we change the circumstances of our lives in dependence on the strength of God and not running on our own fuel. There's an old hymn that says, I will serve thee because I love thee. I, you have given life to me. I was nothing before you found me. You have given life to me. Heartaches, broken pieces, ruined lives are why you died on Calvary. Your touch is what I long for. You have given life to me. Father, we ask you this morning to stir hearts. I hope that that's happened. I hope there's someone in this room that's ready to recommit themselves to you. Father, there may be somebody in this room that's never met you for the very first time, never surrendered their heart to you. Would they consider doing that today? I wish in your Bible you had said that we could grab people in a headlock and drag them to the front of the church and force them to confess you as Lord and Savior of their life. But then it, then it wouldn't be free will, would it, Lord? I'm so glad that you give us daily the choice to serve you or not, to sin or not, to care or not, to give or not. So, Father, if there's someone here today, would you stir in and move them? If they need to make a decision, would they? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great song. Let's stand and sing together just as I am. And that's how God wants us, just like we are.